Hey y'all, pull up a chair, stay a while. You're tuned into the Our Stomping Ground podcast, hosted by Jack Young and Jared Hurst. Hey everyone, thanks for joining our Stomping Ground podcast. we got another great episode coming up for you. Uh, I have Jared on the line with me, and uh, we'll do a little update for this week first. Um, how you doing, Jared? Doing good. I'm uh, on the road again. I'm uh, headed back to Pensacola uh, for work uh, from Hurricane Sally, so I'm headed back over here now for a couple days. Try and get some work lined up over here and getting uh getting all my ducks in a row. Yeah, get all that work out of the way before the rut, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so um I have a story to share with everyone. Kind of embarrassing, but also a learning moment as always. So um I don't know, a couple days ago, uh broke out the saddle for the first time ever in the hunting woods. Um I used it one other one time last year when I first got it. I practiced in a tree and then put it away uh, shamefully. And just kind of all the everything I'm hearing, everyone I'm talking to is like, you need to get it back in the saddle. Um, it's more effective hunting and more effective self-filming as well, which I plan on doing more of. And um, another motivation is I'm, I'm going to be going to North Dakota, as always, in November. And... Um, there's just going to be more clients in the woods. So there's going to be, I think less, probably less stand options and less blind options. So I don't want to be stuck in the scenario where, you know, I see a big buck, I know where he's coming out and I don't have the option to get in the tree. Um, granted <laughs> North Dakota has very little trees, but as uh, as a lot of people know, those, those deer are attracted to uh, structure and, and just, kind of use trees as as a marking point um when they're moving so all all saying that um i brought the brought the saddle back out and um i went out for an evening hunt after work and um used the aider then didn't use the aider <laughs> then then kind of just made a checklist of all the other things i have to buy before i get serious with the saddle thing and um so I finally uh, got to the tree that I wanted to use, and it was a uh, it was a tree that I've hunted before on public land, and I've hunted it in you know my normal climber, and now I want to check it out in the saddle and just kind of compare the two. So I got to the base of the tree, evening hunt, and I'm using a wild edge steps, which Jared yelled at me. Uh, for lack of better terms, but yeah, I was not happy. But carry on. <laughs> you learned a valuable lesson the hard way. So the lesson that I've already learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah, because Jared's been hunting out of the saddle. But um, so the the rationale on the wild edge is I can put them in a suitcase and check them. Uh, my lone wolf sticks, I can't do that necessarily. I mean, I'm sure I could stretch it and probably figure out a way, but wild edge, as far as how they're you know, how they pack, I feel is a little bit more compact. So I'll be able to fly with them. I'll be able to go. I plan on going to Ohio soon as well before North Dakota. So it's just going to be a lot easier to travel with. 
So that's my rationale. So anyways, like I mentioned, I haven't used these steps since last year. So I got to the base of the tree and I start to put the first step on. It keeps sliding down. It keeps sliding down. I'm literally there for 10 minutes. I pull out my phone, look up on YouTube, uh, <laughs> the, the owner of Wild Edge doing his demo. And finally, I just, I'm like, okay, what's 15 minutes later, I still can't get the first step up. Then I get that feeling that I'm sure everyone has felt. They feel like someone's looking at me. Someone's staring at me. <laughs> so I go to look around into the direction uh, where I kind of assume the deer would be coming from. And what do you know? There's a doe staring right at me. And immediately she soiled herself <laughs> and, uh, and spun out and, and ran away and blew and blew and blew. And um, kind of just everything that I've learned in the woods is be still something might come back. So I, you know, threw all my, threw my saddle down the, the steps down and, um, got my bow, went to my knees and knocked an arrow and waited, waited, waited. And, uh, about 10 minutes later I go to make another move and another deer blows out. And this deer was, the body was much bigger. I'm not sure if it was a more mature doe or potentially a buck. I'm assuming another doe, but, um, anyways, blew two deer out trying to mess with this, <laughs> with the, with the steps. Um, and I, I backed out, went to the truck, found a tree next to the truck. Like I should have practiced. Right. And, um, practiced on a tree, figured it out, figured out how to put the steps up, went back in the woods, not, not to the same tree, kind of hunted a different area, got up in the tree and, um, super frustrated still. Cause I blew those deer out. I would have, I would have definitely killed them. Uh, my wind was perfect. And, you know, it's, it's about doe schwacking time for me right now. And, um, anyways, got up in the tree, got up on my platform using the predator platform. And I absolutely loved it. It was awesome. <laughs> I, I just, I loved it. I mean, I just felt free up there. Um, people can say I'm on the bandwagon or whatever, but <laughs> I, I absolutely loved it. I just, I knew I had more I was kind of swinging around. I'm like, wow, I could really have more shots with this, with this system. Um, I didn't oh, yeah. bring a camera, so I still have yet to try that out, but I plan maybe tomorrow to get out for, uh, for a hunt and, uh, and try out filming as well. So that was my hard earned yeah. lesson. <laughs> One of the, uh, I, I think I hunted once or twice without the back band. I was cheap when I, when I bought my setup, I did not purchase the back band. Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, oh, 25 bucks, whatever. No, no big deal. I just, I'll go without it. Uh, yeah, go ahead and get the back band. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have one, go ahead and get one. Uh, I mean, if I could find a way to put a pillow in that thing, I'd be asleep. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the real deal. Comfort wise. It's, uh, uh, it's just so versatile. It's so, like even on even on private land, when, if you have a lease, if you're in a hunting club, and if you have that, I know or am confident the deer are coming from this location over here, but you've never scouted it, you've never gone in there, 
and you have a saddle system, it's so convenient to just put the saddle on, grab your bow, grab your backpack, grab your climbing sticks, sticks, not steps, climbing sticks, Jack, (laughs) and go off in there and scout your way in. You know, leave the truck, get in early one day, just like 2.30 in the afternoon, 2 o'clock, whatever. Give yourself plenty of time and walk in there and just go slow and kind of check things out. It opens up that option to where that you can surgical strike uh, what I call, what I refer to as a Navy SEAL operation. Uh, You just go in with a Navy SEAL mentality and uh, set up on them and catch them off guard. It's so hard. It's it's doable with a climber. It's doable with a lock-on setup, but it's much more convenient with a saddle to do that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got more options. You're traveling lighter. Your tree options are better. Your shot options are better. Um, I feel like you can get away with a little bit more. You can. You have the ability to put the tree between you and the deer. Uh, and that's something I'm still trying to figure out too with my setups is, is, you know, if you're doing a hanging hunt in a spot you've never been in before, you don't really know where the deer are coming from. So you don't want to, and you, I try, I've been trying to not give intentionally give myself a shot to my offside, my weak side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm almost sacrificing the ability to put the tree between the deer and I so that as many I have as much opportunity for a strong side shot as possible because uh, yeah. you're just going to make less movement doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, I still, you don't know at the end of the day, they're going to come from where you least expect it half the time anyway. So, yeah, I still, I'm not, I mean, granted I hunted out at one time, but I'm still not comfortable with putting the tree between me and the deer just because I, I, not confident in that in that shot yet so i was up there i was taking i was drawing i was drawing different angles and areas on the tree and i i'm with you on that right now but i know you can just because there's so many people that do it and and love love shooting or keeping the tree tree in between them and the deer and it makes total sense because (laughs) i mean it's just the best camouflage is a solid object in front of you so um they can't see through it that's for sure yeah but um so since that hunt I did, so I have five wild edge steps. I ordered, I just got it in. Uh, I ordered an additional step. So total of six. And then I had that cheap, uh, Amazon five step aider and I'm, I'm kind of a big guy. I'm not very flexible. So using kind of crazy types of waiters and aiders and naders, um, which I have used before I ordered those last year and I was still kind of sketched out by them. Um, I ended up going with the wild edge aider and it's essentially made of the same rope material that they, they attach to their steps, but it's a single step aider, but it has an adjustment. So it's super stable. So you essentially can put your foot in that aider and then with your right hand, you can pull your foot that's in the aider up. So you essentially get almost another foot or so with one aider and you can clip it to the first step, boom, clip it to the second step, boom, third. So I'm at a total of six steps and, um, I'll let you guys know, um, how far up I go. Plus I have, of course the platform, 
which adds another, you know, 18 inches, two feet around there. So, um, I'm going to see how high I can get with it in the hunt tomorrow, but I'm excited for it. I got that. And then I ended up getting a, for public land, a way to hang my backpack, one of those multi straps with some, uh, S clamps to hold my backpack and bow without drilling holes into the tree. And then what else did I get? Um, another bull bow pulling rope just to replace my old one. But, um, I think I'm going all so, in and I'm going to go wild edge step. I'm going to tell you the one thing. Uh, so the steps that I'm, the sticks that I'm going to get, I currently have the full size long wolf ones. I've had them for years. Me too. Uh, really no complaints with them. Uh, but I'm going to tell you the sticks that I will buy. I am going to splurge this off season and I'm buying, uh, probably five of the tethered one sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dude, at a pound, you just there's no replacement for there's no replacement for lack of weight yeah. and the simplicity of them. I love the design. I love the fact that they're double steps, uh, which I will tell you what I've figured out is you need when you're standing at the base of the tree, especially if you have lone wolf sticks. If you're standing at the base of the tree and you're hanging your first stick, you need to know: Are you putting your platform to the left of your stick? Or are you putting the platform to the right of the stick? Yeah. And the reason you need to know that is because it matters on the lone wolf sticks because the steps flip flop. Mm-hmm. So if you're going uh, to hang your platform to the left of the tr- of your last climbing stick, you want your top step on that last climbing stick to be to have your right foot on it so that you can step with your left foot over to the platform and vice versa. If it's on the right-hand side of the stick, your top step needs to be to the left, so your left foot is standing on the stick while you step onto the platform with your right foot. Yeah. Um, I've gotten myself in a bind with that a couple of times already where I got up to the, uh, you know, wasn't thinking. Uh, I always start, I've, for out of a habit, I've always started with my right foot first, mm-hmm. and, you know, I climb four sticks high all the way up the tree, and I get up there and I go, okay, I need to put my platform to the left based on, you know, foliage or shot angle or whatever. And I hang it to the left, get it hung, not even thinking, go ahead and step on up to my next step, you know, one more step to go step into the platform and realize that I almost can't because mm-hmm. my right foot is on the middle peg and I'm trying to step up and over with my left foot to get to the platform. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It would be a lot easier if you, you know, if your right foot was on the top step. Yeah. So that's and something that's, to think about. And that's, that's honestly probably the number one reason why, aside from weight, yeah. that's the number one reason why I'm interested in the tethered sticks because they're a double step. They're fixed. There's nothing moving about them. It's mm-hmm. simple. You cannot forget to, like, you're not going to find yourself three sticks high going, dang it. I yeah. forgot to start on a, you know, uh, <laughs> on the wrong peg. I've done that. I've done and, that with uh, lock-ons for sure, and with the with the uh, lone wolf set or sticks. And I do like them, and I probably would use them if you know I didn't plan on flying with my system. But um, I don't know. I've re- once I got the wild edge steps to work, I actually do really like them. I like that you can have both feet on them at the same time. And everyone knows when you're using a lineman's belt, and you only have one step to step on at a time, your legs do get tired. And at least mine, (laughs) 
because like I said, I'm kind of a bigger guy. I got a lot of weight. So um, your legs get tired with the wild edge. I can just put both feet on the step and just kind of chill for a second if I get tired. And I don't get the fatigue that I do when I use the lone wolf sticks. So, um, and I did find out when I climbed down, I mean, I probably climbed down faster than if I was using a, um, I took my whole system down faster than I would if I was in a climber, which I was, I was impressed with. Um, I didn't think that was possible. Now going up is a different story. I'm sure I'll get more proficient with it. But, um, one other thing that I did see, you mentioned climbing onto your platform. Once one topic I've been seeing right now, it's kind of trending on social media with, uh, saddles is, um, I, th- I think a couple guys that are newer to saddle hunting, they've been um, stepping onto platforms and then not necessarily maybe breaking the rat, the strap, not uh, getting being tight enough or whatever. But um, I guess a big lesson these guys are, are putting up and I guess is a good safety tip for us to, to mention is connect your tether before you get onto your platform. So, you know, you're, you're using your alignments belt to go all the way up, put your platform up, connect your tether first before you get onto your platform and then take your alignments belt off. Uh, yep. once you know, uh, it's, that's a good safety tip. I didn't think of it and I'm absolutely. glad I saw that before. It's definitely a great safety tip. It's never going to hurt you to be more cautious. Um, but I do think a lot of those guys that are, I say a lot, there's not been a lot. There's a handful of guys that have had issues with the platforms and honestly, it's user error. No, no, for um, sure it's user error. Like they're but... not setting them. It's no different than a lock. You have to set a lock on correctly for them to bite. Mm-hmm. And these guys aren't getting any leverage. They're not seeding the teeth. They're yeah. Not fl- they're they're not uh, camming it over correctly. They're not getting a good tight bite. And the trick to it is, so when you set your platform on the tree, right, and you mm-hmm. get throw your strap around and you pull it snug so that it's at least stationary it's not tight but it's stationary position it where you want it pull and now you're gonna once you get it where you want it you're it's still folded up go ahead and pull it on tight get it get it snug as you can with the strap mm-hmm. then you take and you push down seat it uh downwardly put a bunch of downward pressure on it as far down as you can go let those teeth dig into the bark cam it over take a little pressure off your platform, push it down once more, cam it over a second time. And mm-hmm. when you do it that second time, that thing is not going nowhere. That thing yeah. bites solid. The teeth on those platform, those predator platforms are really good. Yeah. I have multiple pictures of the teeth dug very, very deep into the tree bark, like oak tree bark, yeah. um, hardwood bark. And uh, I was very impressed with how how good how tight you can get on the bite into the bark mm-hmm. when done properly. Yeah. But that being said, it is a good practice from a safety standpoint. Being hooked to the tree more than once is uh, certainly better than not. So yeah. prior to stepping off onto the platform, it would be a good idea to go ahead and just throw your tether on around and clip it to your bridge, uh, then step up to the platform and then once you're up there you can readjust your tether as needed to the correct height and location and uh and get your bridge set and then take your lineman's belt off yeah yeah it's i mean it definitely i, I agree it's user error and i think they admitted it in their comments as well but 
Um, you never know. Uh, you know, it's like we do this a million times, go up and down in trees. We can always make mistakes, oh, yeah. especially during the, the rut. And it's, if you're doing it in the morning and it's dark. You've been up and, for six days hunting hard, yep. you know. You're tired. Your eyes are sleepy. Uh, you know, you might not, you know, you're not 100% awake yet. And you make one little iota of an error, not even realizing it. And you and that thing ain't tight, and you step off onto it, and it'll come out from underneath you. Yeah. And it's no different than that with a lock on. I mean, same exact. Yeah, the, same it functions thing. the exact same way as a lock on. Mm. Uh, I mean, this the same thing can happen in a lock on stand. So that's you know, both ways. If you're hunting out of a lock on, if you're hunting out of a saddle, it can happen to you as well. Yeah. But and of uh, course, if you're using the standard ratchet strap, I mean, this goes without saying, but make sure the mouth of the ratchet strap is completely closed before you step onto it you know yeah, you know what i'm talking so about like not halfway open or you know because obviously if you open it all the way there could be a chance that it pops open you know so yeah and make sure everything's kind of yeah, tight and snug bumped, yeah. if you leave your ratchet straps in the open position and it gets bumped that thing can let go mm-hmm. yeah. so it's best to always close them back so they can't so they can't open up on you absolutely all right yeah well enough well, of that safety harp who's, who's our guest today <laughs> Our guest is Tanner. Um, he is out of middle Georgia, and um, he's he's a successful story. He's a young guy, and he's super inspirational, entrepreneur, and really an entrepreneur just because he wanted to hunt more. <laughs> and I like, I like that. Yep. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> yeah. So um, great guy. We end up talking about self-filming. Uh, he's gotten pretty popular on YouTube and uh super genuine uh, not afraid to show his mistakes and be human on camera which is which is awesome and uh we talk about everything from equipment to uh you know editing software and even talk about asking for land permission i think we that he's very good at that and there's a lot of good tips and tricks that we we hit on yeah yeah so uh, we got Tanner Edenfield, and what was the name of his? He changed the recently changed the name of it. I think it's uh, Have Bow Will Travel. I think so. Yeah, I think that's it. He yeah. mentions it at yeah, the he's end. Got so. a pretty, he's got a pretty solid YouTube following. Some great content. He has killed some Georgia giants mm-hmm. uh, with a bow and a rifle. Um, now he's been published in GON and North American Whitetail, uh, among others. Um, He's just a good old boy. He's it's uh it's hard not to like Tanner, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well without further ado, here's Tanner. Jared, you there? Yeah, buddy. All right, Tanner, you there? Yep. Awesome. Cool. Um talk how's, it, how's it go ahead. How's it going, buddy? Doing all right? Yes, sir. How about you? Uh another day, another dollar. I'm running the rat race. <laughs> Heard that? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, uh, Tanner, thanks for hopping on. Um, welcome everyone to the, our our uh, stomping ground. Um, I guess just kind of start off with uh, give the listeners an idea of who you are, where you're from, and what do you do for uh, for a living. Um, well, my name is Tanner Edenfield. I'm from Jones County, Georgia, and uh, I own a painting business for a living. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yes, sir. Is that uh is you that do, exterior or interior or do you do commercial or um both mostly high end residential stuff, but we do interior and exterior. Gotcha. 
Awesome. Yeah, I got some friends of mine in uh, that, that do painting down here in Jacksonville, and, and they're very successful at it. They they just kind of run their own little crew, you know, handful of guys, and uh, you know, paint inside and outside houses, and and they do pretty well at it. I must say. Yeah, you can do as good as you want to do with it. I mean, you know, it's just like anything else. I guess the more. I think they do a lot of pressure washing as well, and they also do Christmas lights, which makes sense because they got the ladders and stuff. Uh, so in the wintertime, you know, when things kind of slow down around, you know, the holidays, which is normal for construction, as you're aware, uh, they, they switch over to doing Christmas lights. And then in the springtime, they run pressure washers, and then the rest of the year, they're painting. So they stay busy year-round. They do, they do pretty good at it. Yes, sir. So That's awesome. Well, um, I've kind of heard your story a little bit uh, third hand from from Lopez, but um, one reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast is I think uh, your drive for entrepreneurship and kind of being able to have as much time in the woods as possible is is motivating to me, of course, and probably to a lot of our listeners. So I guess kind of how old are you and kind of when did you get into owning your own business and what was your motivation for that? So I was, uh, I'm 24 now. Um, so when I was a senior in high school, which I would have been 17, I was dual enrolled, which that meant instead of going to high school, I went to college. Well, the thing was, I only needed four credits to graduate. So I was only taking two classes. So I had those two classes, uh, you know, back, I had set them up back to back on one day during the middle of the day. So I could hunt seven days a week. And then I was working, doing just basically whatever for this, basically just this rich family one day a week. So I was actually hunting like six days a week and sometimes the afternoon on that one day. So I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> I got to figure out a way to hunt all the time, like forever. Yeah. So actually right after that deer season, I started a business and really – I mean, the goal was obviously was obviously to make a good living, but the the I mean, I could have done that in a lot of different ways. The real way, the real goal was to, you know, get it to to where I can hunt as much as I want to. Yeah. Um, and I I think uh, for those listening that are unfamiliar, Tanner has a YouTube channel. Uh, I think it's recently been renamed to what is it? Have Bow Will Travel? Yes, sir. Yeah, Have Bow Will Travel. And uh, I've been following your YouTube channel for, I would say, probably two seasons now. And uh, uh, for y'all listening, I, I would I would say Tanner is like kind, uh, very similar to Jack and I with entrepreneurship. I'm a business owner myself, and in our 20s, and uh, we just love to hunt and work hard and kind of just do things our own way. You know, kind of you know, don't really follow the pack. So to say, so to speak, we just kind of figure it out on our own and do what works for us. And Tanner seems to be just like that, just from what I've seen on your, on your videos and listening to you and, and watching you grow and, and shoot some really big bucks on mostly, was it uh, permission only properties? Pretty much. I mean, I, I lease, I do lease some land. Uh, and, but like I said, a lot of it's permission or I'll join like I was in a hunting club in Kentucky last year, um, but it's, I would say it's still all pretty low budget. I mean, like I'll end up, I'll find land 
and end up at least, you know, paying something for it, but it'll be in an area that, you know, like some of it will be right in the city that in a county that people ain't really targeting and I'll end up paying like a third of what some of, what it some is. of my buddies yeah. are paying for leases, you know, but uh, like so, said, probably 90% of it's just free permission. So there's a great lesson to take away from this, Jack. And, and I've, I've known this for, I've, I've learned this lesson over and over again over the last handful of years, but especially this year, uh, I have a, I leased up a 25 acre track of land on a whim. Um, I paid 300 bucks for it for the year. I won't say where it is cause I don't want to lose it. Hmm. Um, but Tanner, I hung a camera and put a little bit of corn out back in August on this place. And to date, the best I can tell, I have 15 different rack bucks, all ages, using this little 25-acre piece of – it's 100% thinned planted pines. The pines are 20 years old, thin, third row cut, and it's a perfect rectangle. But there are 15 bucks that travel through it that I can tell. There might be more. And I can, I can definitely have no trouble believing that. Yeah, and nobody's ever hunted it. The landowner that I that I leased it from lives in my hometown. I've talked to him in person, face to face. He's never leased it. He's never hunted it himself. He's not a hunter. He has no idea, and I intend to keep it that way. And I don't want the neighbors knowing. Uh, and <laughs> but the right. point is, is people get hung up on the fact that you've got to have 500 plus acres for you know, pick a number. They got to have this giant track of land to deer hunt, to hunt big deer, to have big deer. And, uh, that's just simply not the case. And they also think you got to have deep pockets. And I too, I pay for a lease as well. You know, I, we have two tracks that we lease. We have the little bitty track and we have 150 acre track and I pay to lease both of them, but we hunt on public land. We hunt, we hunt on our deer lease. We get invited to hunt with friends. We hunt uh, for permission property. We've had for, uh, by permission properties in the past. And, I mean, the smallest track of land we ever had access to was eight acres, and we killed four deer off of it in two hunt seasons. And people just don't really content, tend to think that you can be successful on little overlooked tracks of land. And right. in my experience, and yours as well, because you've documented it, has been mm-hmm. 180 degrees opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you just never know. I mean, You I've just got, don't know. Like, and that's the other thing about the painting business. I'll, you know, if I pull up to a house to do a quote or if I'm painting somewhere, you better believe before I get there, I've pulled it up on Onyx, found out how much land they have, seen what's around them. And there's been cases where it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll trade some work for, I'll trade some work and get hunt permission. You know, yep. like, yeah. um, we did, we've and, done the same thing. We've done the same thing down here. There's a, a gentleman that's a very good friend of ours. He's a diesel mechanic, uh, salt of the earth, blue collar man. I'm talking the nicest folks you ever meet, but he is a multimillionaire and you just wouldn't know it. And, uh, we went over there and did some work for him. My dad did, my dad's big company did. And, uh, come to find out he had a big track of land right behind his house. And, uh, we traded some work for hunting access to it. Uh, I didn't kill any deer off of it, but I was turkey hunting it, and I took Jack out there. Jack is that place that you and Chase hunted. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that yeah, was a good I spot mean, for sure. 
if, if anybody listening to this is an entrepreneur or a salesman or, or works in construction or you're dealing with people on a day-to-day basis at their residents and you see that they have property or access to property and you're already talking to them, there's a relationship, there's rapport there, you know, it does, all they can say is no. Yeah. yeah, that's the worst thing they're going to say is, no, I don't want you hunting. Okay, fine. Thanks for your time. No problem. Then go about, you know, carry on with your business, with your business. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. I, th- I feel like it's a lot easier than people think. I mean, it is. It is. You know, even if I'm even like just cold door knocking people I have no relationship with, I feel like I'll probably get, if there's not somebody already hunting that, I bet you I get 30, 40% of doors I knock on, you know, and that's, I mean, you know, you could knock, most any afternoon I could go and get a new place to hunt, you know what I mean, and, you know, people act, most people are just scared to try it, I guess, I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's. People are just like, how do you get all these properties, and, you know, I'll have the same people ask me once a year how I get all these properties, and every year I tell them, like, just go knock on doors, and evidently they don't ever do it, you know, like. Mm-hmm. I will say this, Tanner. I seen in one of your videos you did a uh, you sat down with a notepad and pulled up on X, and you sent out I don't remember how many letters to people in Alabama, yeah, ask, asking for permission. I tried that this year, and that is how I ended up getting this little twenty-five acre track of land. Yeah, that works too. Knocking on, if you're somewhere you can knock on doors, you're a lot better off. I mean, I feel like if you get two percent of letters you did really good so yeah i mean yeah. you know you're you're talking if i just absolutely want to be guaranteed to have a place to hunt in a certain state like say say i just made up my mind i wanted to have a jam up set up in missouri next year i'd probably send 500 letters i mean you know that would be but you're, you're not handwriting these letters are you are you just doing a generic right, and then... do, i've got a template which as of right now is classified and I just swap out deer blank. I'm interested in your blank acres located in this County. And Hmm. so just sit on the computer, you know, swap out the name and the plug and play. Now, are you requesting to lease or for permission first? Um, I always, I always request the lease, but most of the time you don't end up having to pay. Oh, that's pretty cool. I, I mean, like around here, I offer to trade out paint work, and they're like, yeah, and then they never ask you to paint anything. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, uh, those are great tips for, for people. We did an episode a couple weeks ago on, on smaller tracks and permission, and it's it's effective, super effective. Um, it's, it seems to be a recurring topic that I hear. Um, but let's step back a little bit and kind of give us, give the listeners an idea of how you got into hunting and even fishing. If you, if you wet a line every once in a while. Um, well, just through my family. I mean, my dad was a big hunter and stuff. I mean, I was, I mean, at like two years old, I was like dressed in camo every day, carrying a toy bow around. I mean, you know, I mean, it's killing big bucks and, well, I mean, you know, decent bucks, whatever, has been, the definition has changed over time, but killing big bucks has been the only thing I've ever wanted to do my whole life, pretty much, mm-hmm. as far back as I can remember. That's awesome. Um, yeah. But, so, uh, so 
just their family and just grew up hunting and fishing. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, like, I remember being in middle school, like, skipping my friend's birthday parties and stuff, and like, because it was deer season, it's like I'm not missing an afternoon. Sorry, like. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was just sitting every single day on the same 13 acres behind my house, you know. At the time, not knowing, I'd have been a lot better if I just hunted it like once a week. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like yeah. in my mind, we didn't have trail cameras or anything. In my mind, I'm thinking like, at some point, a big deer is gonna walk through here, and I want to be here when he does. <laughs> yeah, I've I've definitely uh, gathered the idea of you know hunting hunting smarter, not harder. That's for sure. What about a it's tough to get into that mindset, and I think it's a maturity thing, and I think it comes with with killing some big deer, and and there's an old adage. I will try and give it the PG rate, the rate, the PG rated one, where there's two bulls standing on top oh, of the hill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's a it applies to deer hunting a hundred percent, especially when you're targeting big bucks. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I, you know. And that kind of goes hand in hand with finding more properties. Like back then, that was basically all. I mean, I was like 12. It's not like I could drive somewhere. Like that's what I had. And then I got older and started realizing, like, dang, if I want to hunt every day, I gotta find. I gotta have room to hunt every day without boogering it up too much. Yeah. So, yep. Then you turned 16 and got your first pickup truck, and you started riding around and looking at all the woods, going, "Man, if I could ever get in there." <laughs> yeah. Seriously, I had a. My bus driver before I before like my bus driver right before I got my license was pretty cool and he he'd like he'd let me he he drove a bus and then he worked at the shop the bus shop near the school and he he had a truck that he just kept there and he'd let me go by before school and leave my gunner boat in the, in his truck so I could get out of school and go grab it like a mile from the school and head to the woods. <laughs> So, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, I was so I was gonna say, um, how did you get get into self filming and and kind of what was your motivation? Well, uh, growing up, my dad had a good buddy named Curtis Kitchens, and he'd probably be a good one for you guys to interview. I mean, that man is an absolute killing machine. But he filmed. He was big into filming and. Uh, you know, I just kind of grew up seeing him do it, and I filmed for a couple of years when I was about 15 or 16, and kind of just said to heck with it and quit doing it, and then uh, my buddy Jordan Barnes went hog hunting with him a few times, and he was filming, and then uh, that kind of got me back interested. Well, I uh, it, I wasn't really carrying a cam- the camera a whole lot at the time, but I basically by pure happenstance ended up killing the biggest deer of my life on video. I mean, I just happened to take the camera that day and, uh, that kind of, it's almost like there was no turning back from that point. Like that added, I mean, I don't want to sound not saying anything wrong with rifle hunting, but it's like kind of once, you know, I loved rifle hunting. And then once I killed my first big one with a bow, it was like, man, I got to keep doing this. And then it was like, once I killed my first big one with a bow on film, it's like, man, I got to keep doing this. Like, <laughs> just kind of adds a, adds another element to it, I guess you'd say. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can I can see that. Um, I'm kind of in that rut uh, that you were in where you did it for a while and then stopped for a while, and I'm I'm trying to gather the motivation to do it again, and um, I don't know. I I really want to do it again, but I just feel like I think, God, I, I think uh, there's something here worth talking about too. It's 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 the difference between gun hunting and bow hunting. And then the difference between hunting and filming and you have to be okay with accepting the fact that the camera might cost you an opportunity. No different. Yeah. Then no different than the mindset of I'm okay. Taking a bow to the woods, knowing that there's an, uh, there's a possibility the biggest buck of my life or the buck I'm after might walk by at 75 yards. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, it's the same same concept, same mindset. It happened to me three nights ago. I had a giant a wall hanger quality buck at fifty yards five minutes after shooting light with a bow in my hand on opening afternoon of muzzleloader season. Mm-hmm. What are you gonna do? Yeah. 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 My dad was upset with me for not taking a muzzleloader that afternoon, but it's like I made my mind up this year that I'm going to kill a big one with my bow. I hadn't killed a big one with my bow in a while. Mm. And now, don't get me wrong. If I had, if I have a 160-inch deer show up tomorrow and it's on a, a property that I can gun hunt, I'll, I have no problem carrying a rifle. <laughs> but and, and part of it's like around here, you're not, you know, I might find 10 mature bucks to find one that, that touches 130. So it's kind of like, you know, if I have it, say I got 110, 115, 115-inch mature buck, I could go shoot him with a rifle, and then it's just kind of like, you know, just just another rack, I guess you'd say. But to go even shoot, go shoot him or even like a doe with a bow, it's like, you know, your knees shaking and everything else. So. Uh- <laughs> I kind of wait, you know, I kind of wait, <laughs> weigh it all together, I guess you'd say. I mean, but yeah, it's just, you know, if it's like a deer that it's going to break my heart, if he, if somebody else shoots them or if I don't kill them, I have no problem taking a rifle. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Well, uh, I think I'm going to start getting back into the, to the self-filming for sure. Um, I haven't personally, I don't, you don't know this Tanner, but I haven't, I've only been hunting for like five years. So I always feel like I'm, I guess I'm trying to catch up, you know, whether it be not just on like a body count or a kill count, but, uh, just experience, (laughs) you know what I mean? And I feel like, um, when I started to film, I, I feel like I was kind of sacrificing on being completely aware and immersed in the experience of hunting and, and learning those little things. Um, but at the same time, I think that might honestly add to it, you know, reviewing footage and kind of like the transition from rifle to bow is you have to get closer. You have to be more aware. You have to be on your a game way more with a bow. I think it, I could potentially use the same, um, the same thought process with filming. Maybe, um, I would say, I would almost say if you haven't been hunting like 10 years to not even film, honestly, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, well, like when I first started doing it, when I was a teenager, I mean, I kind of knew what I could get away with and what I couldn't, but it hadn't really become second nature yet. 
and mm-hmm. now, I mean, it's like, you know, like if I, if a deer comes in, I'm not thinking like, when do I need to move? I just move when I need to. And then, but then like the camera, it doesn't, doesn't take away from it as much, you know, like, like I see, you see like, you know, 10 different people a day on the internet that are starting filming that are, you know, they're just getting into hunting and it's like, it's kind of like you're, in my mind, they're shooting themselves in the foot because but you're, it's, it's already a difficult enough endeavor. Why are they making it harder on themselves? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it, to get, to get good at bow hunting, I feel like it's like a, a 10 year minimum, like, mm-hmm. you know, seven or eight at least. And it doesn't, and you know, that's not really based on what you kill. I mean, you could be a great bow hunter hunting public land in Florida and never kill anything over 80 inches. But it's like, just as far as knowing like what you can do, what, what you can't get away with. And then, cause that's a fine line. And then when you start filming, you have to really toe that line because if you're, you know, say I'm in a tree, like before I started filming, I might be in a tree completely sealed, concealed by branches and then I stand up and shoot over them and I'm never going to get busted. But yeah. then if you do that filming, you can't film anything. So it's like, it's, you're really, really to get good footage. You're really towing the line of what you can get away with. Yeah. You're almost like killing them twice. You got to kill them with the, the camera and kill them with your bow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, and the other thing I do, you know, kind of talking about that mentality of feeling like I've, I'm trying to catch up is, um, I know you do a lot of traveling, uh, you know, for your hunting is I, I travel as much as possible and I try to spend as much time in the Midwest as possible, even though I live in Georgia, because you just have so many more encounters and close encounters. Granted, not all the principles you can bring to the South, but just knowing what you can get away with if you have more encounters you can therefore yeah. learn that quicker so it's kind of been my mentality yeah uh, i wouldn't say you're learning a whole lot about hunting georgia by being in the midwest honestly because like when i see a deer in kansas my mentality is like jump up and snatch my bow back as fast as i can it doesn't matter where the deer's looking nothing i mean that deer is just gonna jog by me and i mean it you know, you might, he might be within bow range for five seconds. And if I'm 10 feet off the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm going to jump up and snatch my bow back. And I don't think I've ever been busted. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll agree like, on that. You can get away with a lot more. I mean, here, I, mean, I've, I killed a bug off the ground in Kansas. Just sitting on the ground, missed him, snort wheezed at him. He came back and I killed him. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then here, you might be. 30, 30, 35 feet in a tree with good cover and the deer just walking and looks straight at you and you have no clue how it happened. But yeah. I would... uh, pe- people that don't live in the deep set, that don't hunt in Florida, Georgia, or maybe even parts of Alabama, don't comprehend that deer down here walk around looking up. Yeah. It's the only place in the country I have found where deer walk around on a day-to-day basis looking up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hilarious to me going to other states and guys would be like, man, it's hard out here. <laughs> These are some smart, like Ohio, they swear their deer are smart. <laughs> yeah. It's like, 
I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost a different species to me. I mean, I don't know where the line is between like a southern deer and a, a Midwest deer as far as like, as far as like when they get stupid. But <laughs> I know when you get out there, they're stupid. <laughs> yeah, West, West Tennessee, West Kentucky, that's for sure. There's the line. <laughs> there, but um anyway well let's get into kind of your hunting or your excuse me your filming style what would you say your filming style is because there's a whole bunch of content out there and what what do you say sets you apart and you know what do you do different um i would say probably what sets me apart more than anybody else is like I, I have absolutely no shame. Like nothing embarrasses me. Like if, like if I screw something up, I'll show exactly how it happened. And I feel like most, a lot of probably 90% of people that put out content is like, like they're, they wouldn't, if they did something stupid, they're not going to show it. Like they're worried about keeping this cool mentality and, it just doesn't bother me at all. I mean, like yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do something stupid, which I know everybody does. They just don't show it. <laughs> and you know, there might be 20 comments in the comment section making fun of me and I don't give a crap, you know, but <laughs> yeah, you're, you're more relatable for sure. Um, um I, I, that's one of the reasons why I asked you to, <laughs> to hop on for this and because you're, you're genuine with, you know, with your filming and, just kind of how you portray your hunts for sure i try to be i do there's times it's been tough <laughs> yeah absolutely like man that was dumb gonna so, catch some crap for this yeah so as far as your filming I, I, something i struggle with personally when when making a video is i'll have some videos that are kind of like a teaser type video and then some videos that are more of a short film or a feature film type uh length do you how do you plan out your filming? So do you just film as much content as possible and then kind of make your video off of the content you have? Or do you specifically look for, you know, whether it be B-roll or interviewing, do you have like a schedule? Do you plan that out or do you just kind of wing it? Um, so to me, the hunting absolutely comes first, no matter what. So I just hunt and try to film everything i mean like i'll film an interview every day you know before i go in might do it again when i get in the tree what i what deer i'm hunting what i expect to happen that day weather conditions why i'm hunting that spot you know and then i try to film as much b-roll as i can as i go i will cheat sometimes and go back and film something to you know to just you know say walking from the truck or something like, mm -hmm. if I kill a deer and I have no B-roll, I might go cheat and film a little something. But pretty much, I just hunt and then film everything. And then normally when something cool happens, I'll make an episode. Like, say say I'm in Kansas for a week. That whole trip, that whole trip could be an episode. Or if I, if I miss a buck or shoot at a buck or see a big buck, that might be episode one. And then... The, the next episode will be everything that happens after that until something else cool happens, I guess. I gotcha. mean, uh, I'm not, 
generally not going to put out like an hour long film or anything like that, you know. Yeah, I'd say what your average is probably 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, probably 15 to 20. Okay. And I mean, really and truly to me, that's not the most appealing style of filming. I mean, like, but that's kind of what YouTube wants. That's what they reward. I mean, like, if what do, like, what do you I mean by that? Video, as far as viewers, I just gone fast, fast forward to them shooting it, watch them shoot it, and then move on to the next one. Yeah. But <laughs> so you're saying YouTube rewards? Is the, you mean that's what? As far as viewership, like that's what gets the most views. Is kind of a fifteen to twenty, or? Um, yeah. So the more, the higher your watch time is, the higher on a video, the higher YouTube ranks you. Gotcha. So. That's why That's why you see a lot of guys kind of dragging stuff on, I guess you'd say. I mean, that's why like all your all your big channels are putting out longer videos. I mean, you never see like I mean, you ne you never see like the hunting public put out a 7-minute video, you know what I mean? Mhm. Mm and it's kind of and I mean, it's kind of I think it's mostly just a function of that's what YouTube wants. <laughs> that makes sense. That's I did not know that. That's that's uh that's good information. Okay. Yeah, and that's kind of why a lot of times you'll see like a great, super pretty edit that you know got great time lapses and you know it's all cut to music and it's real pretty and it's like six seven minutes long. I'll have like two thousand views and then somebody shooting like the same size deer, same quality footage, but just edited to be twenty minutes long will have like fifty thousand. That's wild. That's wild. Hmm. Algorithms. I wonder if, I think part of that, Tanner, might be that uh, when you watch a 30-minute TV show on regular cable TV, you're actually watching a 20 to 22-minute long TV show because they have about eight minutes of commercials. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if that, that's kind of the same. Psychologically, people are, are conditioned to watch a 22-minute show. It's not that. It's... So basically the way it works, when you get monetized on YouTube, they get, when they run ads on your video, they get 40% of it. So the longer your video is, the more ads they're going to have in the middle of it. And then, so they make more money off longer videos, so then they, they push longer videos. Yeah, ah, that makes total sense, yeah. I mean, a short, so they, you know, three-minute video. It's all about what makes YouTube money. Yeah, yeah, a short three-minute video is just going to have a commercial at the front and at the end, but you know, a 30 minute video could have six commercials in the middle. Right. Hmm. Interesting. So, uh, but then there's exceptions to every rule. I mean, YouTube is a tricky little monster. Yeah. So have you ever, um, are you at the point? I mean, I don't want to get too personal, I guess, but are you at the point where you, you can monetize? Yeah. I've been monetized since I guess like last October. Nice. And, and for the listener, can you explain what that means if they're unfamiliar with that process? Uh, yeah, it basically just means that YouTube run, runs ads on your videos and you get paid for it. Makes um, sense. Kind of a short and sweet answer. <laughs> yep. Yep. So Self-explanatory. Is it a... Uh, does it re, do you recoup even a percentage of uh, all the money you spend on traveling and hunting and filming and all that stuff? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, actually last year... So last year, 
nowhere close, but it worked out decent because I made a little bit of money, so I was able to, like, consider that a business and claim a huge loss on my taxes. And there then this year, I'm on track. I think I should break even or or be close. I mean, maybe make a little, maybe maybe actually spend a little on hunting. But, which, I mean, I never even, when I picked up a camera, I didn't even ever think of that as a possibility. You know, it wasn't even like I thought in my mind, so I'm happy yeah. with it. That's awesome. Of course, Did, that's not all YouTube. Some of that's articles for, you know, writing articles for magazines and stuff like that, too. Who do you uh, write for? Um, I've been published in Outdoor Life, uh, North American Whitetail. I do a lot for Georgia Outdoor News. And then I've got a few coming out in deer and deer hunting this fall. Nice. Yeah, I know Jared started that uh, for GLN. Yep. Yeah, I started writing for GLN back in the spring. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, kind of the same thing. I, uh, I just, I put on my new year's resolution. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a passion for writing and I enjoy reading and, uh, uh, I'm pretty good at writing. I was like, you know, I've never been published. So it'd be kind of cool just to say, you know, I wrote something that I got paid for and somebody put in a publication, anything I could care less what it is. And, uh, just kind of on a whim one night, I started researching that figuring out how to go about doing it. I reached out to GON daryl sent me an email was like yeah send me what you got and one thing led to another and they published i think five articles now i think That's five awesome. maybe six yeah Daryl's a good guy man uh i started sending him stuff when i was like 17 and he would publish it and i just feel like looking back at some of that stuff now i feel like he was just doing me a favor like <laughs> yeah <laughs> i didn't need to be published <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's but, uh, I kind of look at it as, you know, I remember when I was 15, 16, 17, and I would read Field and Stream from cover to cover, and some of that stuff wouldn't apply to hunting and where we hunt at, but some of it did, and right. I look back and I go, man, I learned a lot of little cool tips and tricks that I would have never figured out otherwise from that magazine. And if I can share some of that, some stuff that I've done with others, and also kind of offset my hunting bill, uh, all right, well, that's a win-win. So that's kind of what led me led me to do it. Right. I feel like um, kind of back to the principle we were talking about earlier when it comes to asking for, for uh, permission, for uh, hunting permission, I feel like that principle of the worst that could happen is they say no can be applied to creating content, whether it be writing an article, doing, you know, a YouTube video or even a podcast, um, you know, just, just do it. I mean, uh, don't care what right. people think about you or the mistakes you make or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I think just having that courage to, to do what you love. Yep. Like I said, the, and the thing about it is if you put out a video and it sucks, in two months, nobody's going to remember it. Like, <laughs> it's like, like nobody if you put out a video tomorrow, I'm not going to watch it and three months later be like, man, I remember that video that that guy Jack put out. It sucked. It's <laughs> kind of, you know, but if it's great, I'll remember it forever. You know, like. Yeah. Yep. You're right. Yeah, because, because if it does suck, well, in a month, in six weeks, there's 15 more videos on the subscribers that or subscriptions they have that they've already completely, totally forgot about the one that sucked. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's crazy yep. this world we live in today of content, that's for sure. 
So, uh, yeah, it's almost like a race. <laughs> yeah. Like, you get on YouTube every day and 50 new hunting videos are out. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. So, I will say this, though. What, what makes good content and just kind of sticking on this content theme is, and this also applies to the, the worst they can say is no, is just being yourself and being genuine, which, one, Tanner, I think that's why you're so popular is you're just a good old dude. Do we... what you see what what you see is what you get and people relate to that no different than they relate to this you know podcast that we're doing and no different than they relate to me telling a dumb story that something stupid i did in the woods for a gon article a lesson i learned the hard way or whatever the case may be people that can relate to it and go man i've done the same thing or yeah this is how i hunt or i'm just like him that's what makes it great, and that's why it's popular, as opposed to what you see on the Outdoor Channel five nights a week. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we're making content great again. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, TV, TV's on its way out anyway, I think. I mean, I do – I've done a couple TV shows, and it is kind of funny to watch, like, like my edit versus theirs, kind of. Like, <laughs> hmm. like, the stuff that gets cut out on TV – and usually, in my mind, it's like the stuff that made that video good. Like, yeah, I guess all like, the all the mistakes, like you were talking about, that stuff's funny, yeah. funny and relatable. That's for sure. Yeah, and you can learn from know. it. You learn from mistakes more than than uh, successes, and just in my experience. But um, yeah, hey, so uh, regarding equipment. Kind of give us a rundown. Like, what are you using for filming? Are you using GoPros, action cams, DSLRs, camcorders? I, I know you had some drone footage. Kind of what are you yeah. using as far as brands and whatnot? Um, so, well, I guess we'd start with just your camera arm. I feel like that's probably the most important part. Um, yep. A lot of guys that get into filming quit just because they hate it. So, like, they hate carrying a camera. or Or you might film... 29 days in a row and day 30 you decide not to take the camera and that's when you end up killing one and so like when i when i decided i wanted to get serious about filming the biggest thing to me was figuring out a way to to uh make it just really easy to carry so the first thing i did i'm going to describe the old way and the new way that way if, if somebody listening has what i had then they can do it or the new way so I had a muddy, um, I want to say it was an outfitter or either one the muddy has the worst. Anyway, I had it, and it, the bracket has two holes in it that the camera arm slides into. So all I did was drill two holes in the side of my climber and uh, basically mount that bracket right to the side of the climber. And that that made it where I could just carry the, the climber every day. I'm mean, mm-hmm. going to carry the, the arm every day, and it was already on my climber. So my whole life, I've always carried my – and I'll, I always use Summit, and I've always carried them upside down from how you're, that you're technically supposed to with the cables up. So hmm. that, that muddy arm would – like, if you picture a climber with the cables up, it makes like a triangle. Like, there's like a triangle space between the, the floor or the, the bottom rail and, like, the support arm. Well, that muddy arm was slide right in between there, and then those plastic stirrups 
on it uh, will hold that camera arm in place, so it, you can carry it just in with the climber, and it makes no noise. Hmm. And I would say, if I hadn't figured that out, I probably wouldn't carry a camera every time I hunt. Um, and then, of course, now I've I've changed it up a little bit. My brother does quite a bit of fabricating and stuff, and we we mounted a fourth arrow shoulder to the side of the rail and the only difference is that levels a little it's got like a leveling ball so i love my fourth you know, arrow at, at times i would be sitting like crooked so my camera arm would be straight and <laughs> this lets me be comfortable and have the camera arm straight but yeah i'll tell you the worst part about the fourth arrow is is the base it's just so heavy and clunky and weird to pack so you mount it did you just weld it straight to the climber it's not welded. We just—it's kind of hard to explain. We just kind of fabricated a bracket that lets it screw on there. Oh, okay. My brother could tell you a lot better than me. I just <laughs> be like, "Hey, man, this is what I want," and he'll kind of build it for me. But uh, I'm not real when it comes to that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of technical knowledge with it. But um, I would anybody thinking about starting, I would say find some kind of way that's easier than carrying a climber, uh, camera arm and strapping it to a tree every time you hunt because like I said it's just a lot of carrying it's hard to do but then getting into cameras I've gotten to where I use a DSLR for my b-roll but I still have just a camcorder for for my uh the actual hunting footage and what what I use is a Canon G50 and I had a G30 most of my stuff on YouTube was done with a G30 um they're basically the same cameras it's about a thousand bucks new, I think. Um, the only difference is the G50 is 4K, which I would say that's an. It, I'd say that is like an absolute must when it comes to self filming. I mean, it just makes it so much easier. So uh, do you do you edit uh, the 4K and whether you, like if you need to do a, a kind of a zoom in, I, I guess you could say, uh, without degrading yeah. the footage, or or are you exactly. producing 4K? I'm not I'm not exporting it in 4K um, because it takes me like it takes days for a video to upload at my house in 1080. So we've been looking <laughs> at weeks in 4K because I, I just can't get fast internet there. But yeah, so filming in 4K, I can I can leave the camera just somewhat zoomed in, and I'm not worried about that deer walking out of frame. Nothing. I mean, he's got. You know, he might have 10 yards to walk before he's out of frame. So it, it just gives me plenty of time. And then I can go on my computer and zoom it in like twice what it was, and it's still in 1080. Hmm. And that, I mean, that's, you know, to somebody who hasn't filmed, it, that might not sound like much, but as far as putting out quality footage, that's a big deal. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Yeah. A lot less times of having to let your bow down. And stuff like that. I mean, there has been times it's cost me dear, or almost cost me dear when I was filming in 1080 because you're trying to find that balance between getting good footage and hunting too. And it's like, I mean, there's been a couple times I've drawn back on a buck when I was filming in 1080. He'd walk out of the frame. I have to let down, move the camera, and then draw back again. And there's been times where it, I feel like it probably cost me a deer that got by me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't say for sure, but probably did. Yeah. I so was... That, that 4K is a big deal. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, that that's actually a lesson I, I learned recently. I, I'm a gear guy, so I always buy anything you know better, so I always get the 4K. But now I'm glad I did because... So, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I kind of go back and forth on filming, and I talked to to Walt um, from from Chase and Tails, and he mentioned he's like, dude, just just start out, start off with your iPhone. He's like, you don't have to carry all. I do have all the equipment, you know, the camcorder, DSLR, all all the secondary cameras. He's like, just start out with your iPhone. Strap your iPhone to your camera arm, and it films in 4K, so you can zoom in, you know. X amount of times or whatever without degrading uh, past 1080p and you know you always have your phone on you and you might fall back in love with filming so um, but that 4k is is uh, the piece that that is important you know yeah and it's I mean you know like I said you can do it without it it's been done for God knows how many years but so self-filming, not having a cameraman, it makes a big difference. Um, of course, there's there's downsides too, I guess. You, I mean, you got to have a good computer and you got to have a lot of storage. I mean, so, that 4K I, takes up 10 times as much room as 1080. Hmm. Yeah. So I've got a question. Um, have you found even – so whatever – the G50 that you're using, um, are you losing any shooting light due to the camera? In the, are you? Does it take you longer to get camera light in the morning, and do you lose it faster in the evening? Or um, with technology the way it is now, is it about the same as shooting light? So that camera there, I would say that it would have it would have light well past legal shooting light. Um, wow! If, if I had like my rifle with I've got a loophole VX3, which is a pretty good scope. Uh-huh. I could probably, I mean, if there was like a, a silhouette in a field, I could look through it and see what it was probably longer than the camera could. But like, like my bow setup now, since I've started hunting in the Midwest, I've went to a smaller peep. I mean, you know, like kind of a small peep favors accuracy, a big peep favors light. And, you know, planning on further shots in the midwest i've gone to a smaller peep and that camera can film past when i would i mean it can film you can drop the shutter speed down and have light on a deer past when i when i could shoot one with my bow for sure wow that's wild like well like like well past when i could shoot one i mean like and then i mean the darker it gets you lose quality i mean as you drop that shutter speed your movement is going to be a little bit a little bit less smooth and you know, that just, as it gets darker, you drop it more and more, that increases. But um, I wouldn't say I lose any light, no. Hmm. Okay. I just, I know I've heard a lot of guys talk about, like, I only have 10 minutes of camera light left. And I'm looking at their video, and I'm like, dude, you can still shoot a deer for 30 more minutes. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, you... I mean, it just depends. Like, some guys, some people aren't going to shoot one unless they have, like, just good daylight. I mean, like, when like when deer and deer hunting sent a camera person with me, it really would be, like, 20, 30 minutes before dark. And they're like, yeah, we might as well just get down and go. Like, we, we're not, we don't want any grainy footage at all. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, because I think, like, don't they have to film in 4K and produce in 4K, 4K for TV? Um, I don't 
think so, man. Or uh, Netflix. And, yeah, I don't know about Netflix. I think there's only like one hunting show on Netflix that I know of. But uh, the first stuff I ever had on the Pursuit Channel, I literally filmed with a $100 camera. Like it was $100 used on Craigslist. I bought it when I was like 12 or 13, 14, something like that. And that was the, the deer that I ended up. I just happened to take it that day and killed the biggest deer of my life. And I mean, that one got put on the pursuit channel and it was a hundred dollar camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially nowadays technology is, has gotten a lot cheaper just because of innovation. So right. what about, um, what about for your secondary and potentially third, uh, um, third angle? So up until this year, I haven't done hardly any second angle stuff. Um, but now I've got a, a Tacticam 5.0 system. So basically the way it works is, uh, you know, they've got an, a Tacticam 5.0, which is like what you would see like on a gun or a bow. Mm-hmm. And then they've got the 5.0 wide, which is just like a GoPro. But what... In my mind, what makes them better than a GoPro is I can carry I can carry a Tacticam up to five cameras with me around for two weeks. Say I don't use them, then I can press one button on the remote. All five of them will come on and start recording by one button press. Yeah. Whereas the GoPros, they do make a remote for them, but you're still, it's still going to eat your battery up in like two hours. Yeah. I have a GoPro with a remote and it's not very user friendly. Yeah. I mean, so like, even with that remote, you're not going to carry that thing around. You're changing batteries constantly. And it's like, I want to be able to, to, you know, strap it to a tree every day, but I'm not worried about is the battery charged, anything like that. And it's not pressing that one button in my lap is really not messing me up too much as far as actually shooting a deer. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I have a GoPro turned off, I'm turned around in the tree reaching up. Like, you know, that. And that's why I never did it before. To me, that's just too much to deal with. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, that, that Tacticam system is the way to go, in my opinion. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I've Is that the one that's kind of uh, – is it – like the shape of a GoPro, or is it like sl- cylindrical? No, it's 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 like a cylinder. Um, okay. Even the even the, the like the wide angle action cameras are shaped like the others, which is good because they'll fit the same. You know, they'll fit all the same mounts and take the same battery. I guess was kind of the, the thought process behind that. Yeah. yeah is it 4K? It is. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm thinking about potentially filming some wing shooting too. So. That might be something I, I pick up soon for sure. That would um, definitely be the way to go for wing shooting and stuff. Cause especially self-filming. I mean, you're not, you know, you're shooting ducks or doves or something. You're not going to have time to aim the ca- aim a regular camera that way. And then no, no, no. Go shoot them. Yeah, absolutely not. What about, uh, what about external mics? Are you using any of those? Um, so on my DSLR, I run a, what's well, called a video mic go. It's like a, it's like $75, um, and then my main camera, I'll run a Video Mic Pro when I feel like it, uh, 
they're like two hundred fifty dollars, and the, the only reason I bring price into play is I cannot determine any difference between the seventy five dollar one and the two hundred fifty dollar one. And I would say the difference between the two hundred fifty dollar one and my Canon G fifty is almost is just about negligible. Hmm. I mean, and actually, in a lot of cases, the G fifty is better. Like, if I'm walking along. Like, say I'm walking to a stand, I didn't want to take time to actually sit down and set up and do some, some like, an interview. I'm just walking to the tree holding my camera. Mm-hmm. If I have an external mic hooked up, that thing bounces and makes, like, a, a ton of just extra noise that kind of messes up the stuff. So, I've really gotten to where I don't – I'll keep a, an external mic on my, uh, my DSLR just because, the, like, the built-in microphone on it is just straight garbage, but – the G50 is like, like if you're buying one of those, I wouldn't see any need to buy an external mic, honestly. Yeah. I mean, say you're getting into filming, you know. Yeah, I have the uh, the Sony. I, I don't even know the model off the top of my head. Probably should have been prepared for that, but I run the Sony. It's a 4K. Um, it's a newer model, but it's it was a lot cheaper probably than the AX Canon. Something. Yeah, AX500 or 600 or something like that. But the I was surprised on the mic, like you're saying, it, it's it's pretty good on there. Yeah, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't, I really can't determine a difference. I mean, certain cases, you get a little bit better of a thwack when you shoot a deer, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you just hear that rip break just a little bit better. But <laughs> other than that, I can't really tell a difference. Gotcha. Um, and I've, even like the windscreen, like, I don't know that. Like, I've, I've filmed stuff, like, on, like, with it on and off in Kansas when the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour, and it really doesn't make that much of a difference there. Maybe a little bit, but not not any big, terrible amount. Hmm. Hmm. That's good to know. What about any other equipment? Kind of want to wrap up equipment and maybe move into software, but what other equipment do you use for filming, whether it be, do you... Do you use a steady cam or any tripods or anything like that? Um Yeah, I mean I use I've got several tripods for the longest time I I would just I bought so like last year I went through probably like six thirty five dollar tripods from Walmart and I was like, Okay <laughs> I guess it I guess I might as well just buy one good one. <laughs> <laughs> Not go through like, you know, might as well spend like a year's worth of $35 ones and <laughs> buy a good one. So I went hunting with, um, I don't know if y'all, y'all probably know who he is, Steve Bartella in Illinois. And he had, uh, he had what was called a Benro Aero 3, which was giant, but they were really nice. So I ended up buying a Benro Aero 4. And it's like 100 $30 maybe, and I would say definitely worth every penny. Because mm-hmm. um, number one, I mean, you could go through four, five, six cheap ones in a year, and it's just oh yeah, it's light, it's quiet, it's got a great fluid head on it straight out of the package, and it's got a leveling ball head, so like if I'm in a ground blind, and I don't have that much room, I can cram the tripod in the corner you know, crooked as crap sometimes, aim the 
you know, the, the bar that the camera actually sits on be crooked and I can tilt the head where it'll sit level and look perfect, but the, the tripod skewed way out of the way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a true but, believer in, in nice uh, tripods because I did the same exact thing. Those cheap silver tripods from Walmart and they break, they're sh- shaky footage and... I picked up a used Manfrotto on um, a fluid head and a tripod on eBay, uh, and it's it was like a carbon carbon legs and everything, and they are a little yeah. bit more bulky, but man, they are smooth and uh, it's a lot easier to set up and take down pretty quickly. Yeah, oh, and that's the other thing. Um, this tri- my tripod is it's technically considered a travel tripod, so it'll actually fold up like tiny. Like, that should, might, just might be something to consider. Like, if somebody was listening that was going to get into it, like, maybe you might want to buy, like, specifically buy a travel tripod. Like, the, the part that extends up will sting, extend up, and then the legs fold around it. It's like, I mean, you could easily put it in a backpack. Like, I mean, you could put five of them in a backpack, probably. <laughs> nice. So, uh, getting into software, um, what are you using to edit your, your films? Um, so now I'm using Final Cut Pro, uh, and I just started using it about probably like halfway through turkey season. Um, before that I was using iMovie. Okay. And once again, to somebody starting out, I think iMovie would do just about anything you would need to do. I mean, when you start, if you start like really wanting to spend some time on editing and try to do some some different stuff final cut pro is great but and it's kind of a smooth transition too from my movie to it like i mean they're both made by apple and they're both kind of kind of laid out similarly so it's not a you know if you our movie's free so if you started using it and then you decided you wanted to jump up to something else it's not that steep of a learning curve you know yeah, that makes sense. I I use iMovie myself. Um, I haven't really found the need to mess with the lighting or anything yet. Um, but can you use Final Cut Pro on your phone, just or on a tablet, just like uh, iMovie? Um, not sure. Never tried. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I would imagine you could probably for sure use it on a tablet. Mm-hmm. But I, like I said, I don't know. Gotcha. Gotcha. What did you use to uh, create your intro? Uh, it's pretty cool uh, as far as just the effects and whatnot. Did you use um, iMovie for that? No, that was Final Cut. Right? Final Cut? Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. And that was, like, what part specifically? I guess when you're in the tree, drawn back, and it kind of switches over to another uh, yeah. clip. Yeah, that was Final Cut, and that's actually kind of what made me switch is that's that's what it's called masking. Like you mask out part of a clip and mm-hmm. another clip comes. And that was really, to me, that was the one thing that I maybe didn't have that I wanted. That's awesome. Which, I mean, like I'm probably not going to go to that level of detail on like a normal video, but yeah, even like, you know, I could make, you know, so you got a pan left to right. I could make a tree, you know, like one side of the tree be, winter and the next side of the tree be summer and you could do that in 30 seconds on Final wow. Cut Pro. that's wild 
I I did recently just figure out how to do a green screen on iMovie. I was pretty proud of myself. <laughs> I still haven't quite got that one worked out. Like, like I had a like I had a couple little graphics or whatever, like a subscribe graphic with a green screen in the background, and it'll still take me twenty freaking minutes to figure out how to add that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I all I did was buy a uh, a green tablecloth from from Michaels, like a gr- a lime green one, and just tape it to the wall, and boom, there's my green screen, <laughs> nice and cheap. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, uh, what other? I know you were using iMovie for a while. So, um, how do you add any of those uh, sound effects or text or anything? Or are you just doing that straight through iMovie? Well, I don't use iMovie anymore, but I mean that iMovie has uh, I've got a ton of titles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I want I want to say iMovie might even have plugins. I'm not sure, but hmm. Final Cut Pro you can get all kind of like custom titles and effects and stuff through what's called a plugin. Basically, you just I mean I have to YouTube it every time, but it's it's pretty simple. I mean you, you download it and you just drag that thing into a file somewhere on a computer and gotcha. it's like like say you wanted a custom title that nobody's ever had or you know it's not nobody but nobody that you see hunting on youtube has <laughs> you can go to file cut pro, or title plugins and in five minutes you can download a plugin and you know have it on file cut pro and have a unique look to your stuff yeah China. yeah makes sense and uh, it, to the listeners uh, we're obviously talking about using a Mac, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I enjoy using my Mac for this type of stuff for sure. Um, okay, so y- you've been uh, kind of just wrapping it up. Uh, and I, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, you've been on in a couple states so far this year. You went to Oregon, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, me too. I had an Oregon elk hunt. Um, what, what other... Huh? Any luck? No, no. This was my second year, and no luck this year. Um, but that's a sore subject, Tanner. Yeah, it's a sore subject, but uh, yeah, that's for another another talk. But um, I, I would do feel to have had an elk tag. If I'd had an elk tag, we might be having a different conversation. I, I saw, yeah, I saw you ran into some elk. <laughs> Uh, there's more elk out there than you can shake a stick at i don't know how you didn't kill one man <laughs> yeah well that that's an offline i don't want to air anyone out on on the public so but um so what other what other hunts do you have going on this year um not really sure yet i'm kind of the type i'll tell you my my tentative plan right now is to hunt pretty much focus on Ohio until I kill a big one or feel pretty confident I have found all the deer that are on properties I have permission to hunt and a little bit of public land I hunt and then shoot one of the biggest out of those which I'm sure there's a giant out there somewhere mm-hmm. um, and then you know if, it, if that takes a long time I might not do as many states this year um, I couldn't draw Kansas this year which was a huge bummer mm-hmm. um other than that definitely hunting alabama planning on hunting some indiana public land um we'll see other than that yeah uh, 
I'm going to. If I tag out in Ohio quick, there's no telling where I'll go, honestly. Well, Indiana's right there. I'm actually going to Ohio again uh, this year. Haven't been in a couple years, but um, I like this public piece of property I'm hunting, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, there's some great public land out there. Um, Actually, probably my best spot so far is on Ohio public land. Yeah, yeah, me too. My best spot in Ohio. I mean, I've got several private pieces, but that public land is pretty jam up. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So what, uh, if there's one piece of advice you'd give to a newbie self filmer, what would it be? Probably figure out a way that you're comfortable carrying a camera every day, I guess. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, if you wanted to really seriously get into filming, if you had to go to a machine shop or a fabricator and spend $500 to figure out a way to comfortably carry where it would integrate right in with your stand, in my opinion, it would be worth it. Yeah. Um, which it's a little bit trickier with hang-on stands than it is with a climber. But that's the biggest thing to me is, you know, figure out a way to be comfortable carrying it every day and set it up quietly of course Mm -hmm. that makes sense for sure yeah if it's not comfortable you're probably not going to do it consistently kind of like uh carrying a pistol every day you know if it's not a comfortable system uh you're gonna you're gonna end up needing it and not having it that's for sure exactly so um where can the guests find your your content and everything you produce so it's Have Boat Will Travel on YouTube, um, Have Boat Will Travel on Facebook, Have Boat underscore Will Travel on Instagram. Awesome. Cool. Well, I encourage uh, all the listeners to go check out uh, Tanner. He, he puts out a lot of good content and super genuine, great guy. And uh, I appreciate you hopping on, taking your time, and sharing your experience with the uh, listeners. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Tanner's absolutely. We, uh, you're not too far from where I hunt at up there. So, uh, and I know Jackson, Jackson McDonough, so maybe, uh, maybe a late season hunt. If you still got a Georgia buck tag, uh, we'll all gather up one day, maybe hang out at the barn at my place or do something. We'll, we'll get all three of us together and, and have a fun weekend in the woods. Sounds good. You said you're in Jackson. I live in Jacksonville, Florida. My deer lease is in Sly County. Oh, okay. I'm on the Sly County, Taylor County line. Gotcha. Yeah, that's only I, probably I, an hour, maybe. Yeah, my property line is the county line. Oh, cool. Uh, awesome. Cool. Yeah, man. Sounds like a plan. All right, man. It was a pleasure. Uh, good luck this season, all right? Yeah, you too. All right, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Our Stomping Ground podcast. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram at our stomping ground podcast check out our youtube channel at our stomping ground see you next time